Joe Schilling is chopping down trees, except someone took him out of the forest and put him back in the kickboxing ring, which means it's time for Verbal Tap, the show that proves fighting is way easier from outside the cage. I'm your host, Kevin, with me, of course, Raph Esparza. Raph, how are you doing this evening? Great. You know what makes me feel great today, Kev? What? When we are able to give a gift to our good friend, Joe Schilling. And is that gift the meme? Yes, that would be the video, the short little highlight reel that we put together uh, in honor. We basically cut uh, reaction shots from the movie Friday. And uh, we weren't just retweeted by him, which, you know, Joe's always been good to us. So we're always excited to see him do well. But it was very nice for him to put it up. But Glory kickboxing themselves put it up on their Twitter, and I said, well, that's pretty cool. Damn. Yep. Sorry. I'll stop doing it's, that now. It's a good effort. Uh, that's awesome. He looked violent again. Always. He always looks violent. Uh, so, great stuff always from our good friends uh, over at Glory. Very happy for them. I mean, that's the whole thing is, you know, you put Joe Schilling in that environment. He is a dangerous, dangerous man. And uh, I I just think he, there's a little bit more that he loves in doing kickboxing than maybe he does in MMA. But uh, we'll watch a Joe Schilling fight just about anywhere. It, the liquor store, mm-hmm. uh, the grocery, any store where people exchange things, uh, carnival rides. Yeah, big fan of Joe Schilling. Can we move on to the other Joe? Definitely. I live in the great state of Colorado where... Marijuana is legal. And even amidst certain environments, much like the MMA, where I admit it is not legal, I can understand, but I never judge because of my own partaking. Yeah. Because the source doth protest too much. Joe Warren tests positive for marijuana. Do you think this explains his laziness in the fight? It wasn't laziness. Let's be very clear. (laughs) Joe Warren has a lot of great wrestling. I think what it explains was why he was trying to take down LC because he wanted to get closer to being able to take a nap. So (laughs) really he was just like, whoa, dude. I had a half a bag of Funyuns Mm, at like 1030. This is too too heavy for me. I need to take this guy down and just kind of nap. I had an edible, and uh, I can feel my hair. He did, as you pointed out, doing a little bit of journalism. He apparently was very critical of Nick Diaz. So here's what he said. Last week in order to promote his fight, somebody asked him or he offered it up, but I'm pretty sure a reporter asked him, so I'll give him the benefit of that doubt. You know, what's your opinion on the Nick Diaz situation? Now, he said at the time... That he didn't have any sympathy for him. He's a big boy. He knows the rules. And that's part of the game. This is also, of course, coming from a guy who himself was pot, uh, you, you know, uh, caught with hot. hot. High. <laughs> yes. Sorry, it could have worked either way. It yeah, I know. And the worst part is, is once I said pot, I was like, I'm going to end up doing a pun here. And I don't really feel like doing a pun. Once he got one. pot. Smoking it. Yeah. Yep. Once he got pot in the hot with the cot. Um, anyway, so he, in saying that, I guess part of the inherent kind of headline making of it was that he himself had gotten caught for it. 
and that he now i guess had a prescription i don't know exactly what his deal is but it's not like he's saying you know marijuana is the root of all evil i think he was just saying he knows the rules and he should know better well lo and behold for that very fight that he was promoting he himself was doing it which leads the question kev why you gotta be throwing rocks at glass houses man that's that is the question uh because you know we just we lash out to protect ourselves it's national coming out day i urge joe to say i like the way i feel when i'm stoned and i bet he'll feel better (laughs) i'm so glad you did the promotional tie-in for national coming out day because that was something that was begging to be done on the podcast it just felt right. Okay. I thought we should. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about on the podcast today. We have two guests swinging by. This is what we do when there's a nice little lull in the MMA activity, which is almost never. We found ourselves in the sweet spot, so we talked to some cool... Well, of course, we're going to nerd out on some jiu-jitsu. That's obviously and, and happening. You know, Kev, we love the jiu-jitsu. We're excited to actually talk that, but there is a little bit of breaking news that I feel it is important for us to address. Yes. What if I were to tell you that Kimbo Slice wants to fight six more times and that he is targeting a February return in which he is vowing to put asses in seats? I would say that's that's going to be... Uh, uh, well, he wants to fight six more times? Yep. Yeah, that's nine fights too many. Okay. Okay, that is definitely, I think we're in the the negative region on that one. Uh, Yeah, he should have stopped three fights ago is what I'm saying because I'm worried. How? Okay, much (laughs) like you're not allowed to smoke weed and fight, are you allowed to be that old and fight? Yeah. What's the physical requirement? Sure. They let people fight old all the time. I think it's more of a, are you old and can you handle yourself responsibly? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. You can fight. Uh, what's that? You're still old and nobody really gives a shit and you beat up Ken Shamrock? That's not a thing. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure at most bar fights, you have a good chance of taking him. I I just want America to note I was the sole voice of reason Mm. that was like, I think Kimbo Slice might die in the cage. I'm just nervous. Uh, definitely. I would also like to point out, though, Kev, um, it's not just that headline that's come up there's another one that i think is going to leave a sore spot in the world of mma kev yeah brendan schaub says he's going to take a leave of absence do you know why uh to focus on podcasting Uh, that's part of it but uh apparently part of the the reason is uh don't like free buck really Mm -hmm. oh no so, you know, look out other promotions. Well, I think he's saying like, oh, man, I hate Reebok so much. I'm going to walk away from this sport. Yeah. So, do you think that's the truth? No, I do not. Okay. <laughs> he likes the limelight a little too much. He's He's happy with it. So I think that's that's definitely an interesting uh, aspect of all of it together. So. I thought that you would enjoy hearing those two things before we move on. Also, 
remember Michael Bisping willing to fight Rampage at any weight. So all is right in the world. <laughs> I, the, the nice part about that is, is, you know, Quentin Jackson was saying last week that he thought he fought his last fight because of all the legal troubles between Bellator and UFC. And... That's why I fought my last fight, so I can respect that. Nah, you have not fought in a fight. Anyway. Yeah, well, because of the court battles. Oh, okay, yeah, that's definitely the reason why. Uh, Rampage Jackson was saying, all right, guys, I think you've seen it. And at which point I said, okay, yeah, I think I'm good with that. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that five years ago. Thank you. We good. Thanks, though. It was a lot of fun when it lasted, and it was actually good fights. But uh, I don't know. Then it became like, oh, maybe the UFC is going to – save him and they'll get an injunction or who knows what the fuck they're going to do at this point. But uh, then he was talking shit about Bisping. He was saying that Bisping's kind of a traitor and that you know, fuck that guy. And uh, what did Bisping say in return, Kev? I'll fight him at any weight. Or whatever. Hold on. No, no, no. I guess I should do the Bisping. (laughs) I can't do Bisping. Well, I I like hearing yours so that way I know that whatever I do is going to be fine. It's like every time I just feel like I could beat him. What the fuck? Is he on Downton Abbey? Is that what you're doing? He's one of the Downton Abbey Is he one of the monkeys? Is that what he's supposed to be? I think so. Let me see if I got it. Michael Bisping. It's been a long time since Michael Bisping has been relevant enough to do an impression, so it might take me a while. Uh, Hold on, let me do the Michael Bisping tuning fork. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's almost there. (laughs) Oh, oh, no, it's too high. It's too cockney. Um, Yeah, all right. You know, he's been running his mouth and. I just think, oh yeah, I'll go, I'm gonna kick his fucking ass. Is that's what I'm gonna fucking do? And fuck that guy. He's black, and you know, I, I, oh, that sounds racist. And yeah, fuck that. All right, I'm out. <laughs> Michael Bisping. He's just like, oh, did it? It did sound racist. He looks at his corner, like, yeah. He's like, oh well, I'll just stop talking. Pretty racist, dude. You need to really get out of there. I can respect it. Uh, all all parties. So we've covered MMA news. Yes. In a brilliant way. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you want to get to some guests? Verbal Tap fans, it's uh, Raph and I were having a blast looking at our guest tonight's resume. It sort of like takes you through. If you've been in on MMA and the mixed martial arts to grappling world for a while, uh, you've probably heard the name Sean Fowler. But Sean, explain to Raph and I, and first of all, thank you for swinging by the podcast. Explain to us... How do you get started in all of this? Is is it business that gets you into it first, or is it grappling passion? That's the thing I haven't been able to see about your resume yet. You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know how any of it happened. It's kind of like a, a an accident how it started in the beginning. Um, I'm a lifelong athlete, football, basketball, baseball. Played since I was in, you know, Little League, uh, Powell, as a matter of fact, coming out of Colorado. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I and, just uh, moved there, by the way. Nice. I moved nice. here one month um, ago. That's awesome. That's an awesome place to be. Um, you know, growing up there, I, I played sports my entire life, football, basketball, baseball, like I said, all the way through high school. 
Um, got a partial scholarship to college, couldn't afford college, said, forget it. Um, I went to the military. I said, okay, if I can't do that, I'll go this other direction then. And I guess from a very young age, I and always that's knew Navy. that I was going to, I was, that's correct. Yeah. I ended up going, I ended up going to the Navy. And, um, I guess from a very young age, I always knew that I was supposed to do something else, but I didn't really know what it was. And it just kind of happened. Um, after I moved to San Diego, I had a, a series of friends, um, Vernon Tiger White, um, Joe Hurley, Ken Shamrock, uh, Manolo Hernandez, uh, a series of guys that all basically all trained out of the lion's den. And uh, at that point in time, it was a very young um, John Copenhaver, a uh, war machine, um, a very young 9mm Ratcliffe. Uh, those guys were teens back then, uh, way back when, and they were just breaking into the fight scene. And uh, I remember bouncing at a couple of clubs way back when downtown San Diego and, and I met Manolo Hernandez and a few other guys and they were all tied up into this whole MMA scene and it was very unique. I had a couple of friends that were stationed with me and you may know this name, Eric Del Fierro. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Del Fierro is the head trainer at Alliance MMA and he coaches guys like uh, Dominic Cruz and Brandon Vera and Phil Davis and you know the list goes on and on and on. Alex Gustafson, the whole crew. So around 2002, we actually broke into the scene and, and created a show called Total Combat. And um, Total Combat launched the careers of people like Dominic Cruz. Uh, Tank Abbott fought there. Um, Tom Atencio, formerly of uh, uh, Affliction MMA. Um, and you're talking about times when MMA is still widely illegal. Or like... uh, yes, MMA was very underground at this point in time. 2002, MMA was very underground. Um, I love it. It seems, like, it seems asinine. It just wasn't that long ago. Which is why I love it, the it, reminder. As, as scary as it is, you know, uh, it was very, very underground, um, very foreign to most people. They weren't supposed to talk about it. You know, it was kind of, you know, the whole Fight Club thing. If you know about Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club. But mm-hmm. we were hosting our shows in TJ. Um, you know, we were going to Tijuana, Mexico, and we we didn't even start. You know. Uh, in 2002, whenever we launched, by our second show, we were sold out, and it was just crazy, you know. People like, uh, you know, Shannon Gugarty and Jason Lambert and Justin Levins and, um, you know, Jeremy Williams, uh, you name it. Like, the, the, the crew and the list goes on and on and on of the people that, you know, we were all very close to, but they didn't have an, uh, a platform to fight back then. Um, in those early days, there was the UFC, which was kind of up and down. Obviously, everybody knows that they, they had a dark period where they kind of disappeared and kind of came back. And uh, essentially, you only had um, King of the Cage and you had, uh, well, you didn't even have Gladiator Challenge back there because it wasn't until years later whenever they split. So you had King of the Cage. Um, so in 2002, we launched we launched Total Combat. Total Combat launched the careers, like I said, of like you had like Wade Ship. Um, you know, Shannon Gugarty, Gary Padilla, Dominic Cruz, um, some of the names, just to name a few that, that you names that you'd actually know and recognize, Toby Amata. Um, and you know, that, that was an amazing run. In 2005, we were the very first licensed show. We had been working with, uh, the California State Athletic Commission and Nevada for a couple of years trying to get it sanctioned. And, um, whenever Schwarzenegger signed it into, uh, uh, you know, saying that it was going to be legal in 2005, uh, we were the very first show, and Strike Force with Scott Coker was the was the very first show as well. Wait, they did their show on Friday. Quick. They did ours on on Saturday. When you say Schwarzenegger, you you mean the governor? The governor, yes. yes. I'm so glad he was a part of that story. It was interesting, and you were going on a really cool history, MMA wise. 
And then the Schwarzenegger drop, it was like, I have to make sure that's who I think it is. Sorry. Asked yeah, an answer. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. He was the one who signed it into existence and made it legal. And, and Friday and Saturday night, Strike Force threw their first show, and we threw our Saturday, um, both in California, to be the very first legal shows that, that happened under CSAC. Now, let me ask you this. You know, as this is all going on, are you at any point, like, just nervous? Like, what does it feel like to be putting that together at that time? Like, people now put together events or, or you know, kind of MMA kind of things that are easily sanctioned. But we're talking at a time where it's not cool to talk about it or you're not quite popular in the public consensus yet. It's not the cool thing to do. So what's going through your head as a promoter and an organizer? You know, it's, I guess it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been an interesting run along the way because, you know, during the day I'm an executive. I've been an executive for Department of Defense for a very long time. And to have, have a master's degree and actually have a professional career as an executive, like Eric, you know, Eric has, Eric's a, Eric's a firefighter on top of being a gym owner and a, and a head trainer and all these other crazy things. Um, for all of these things to kind of come together, it was very hush-hush. Um, a lot of people that knew you in the professional world on your, you know, in your career side, nobody talked about that other side at all. And nobody knew you actually had this, like, separate life. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of two different worlds. <laughs> Nobody so, on the fight side or, or the jiu-jitsu side knew that you had a professional world. So did it just kind of go when you'd say, like, hey, what's everybody doing for the weekend? Nothing? A whole lot Every, of nothing? It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a whole lot of nothing. Like, you know, people would just be like, okay, well, we're going to do this. You know, we, we'd be promoting on the side in the back door. And, you know, everybody that, that we knew, it was, you know, it was a quiet, different place. You know, the, the fight world is a different industry. It's very... um. I think that now, you know, after all these years, you know, and, and getting away from the infancy, although we're still we're still really in the infancy, sure. we're, we're really barely starting to cross over mainstream with legitimate sponsors and real-time sponsors. But jiu-jitsu on the other side is, is far away from that still at this point in time. <laughs> um, although jiu-jitsu has exploded, it really, really has in so many different ways. And, but at the same time, it's still, it's still, not, it's still not on that level yet. I, for one, think you are you are speaking foolishly because jiu-jitsu athletes make tons of money. They <laughs> have everything that they could ever ask for. The arenas alone Absolutely. are ridiculous. Just, oh, nonstop sales. You know, you mentioned that you were there for the infancy of MMA. But, we- but okay, but let's, let's just be honest here. <laughs> jiu-jitsu is still a recreational sport. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 100% of the recreational sport. You know what I mean? Nine out of ten people are not the elite athletes. They're not the Salo Hiberos. They're not the Andre Galvaos. They're not the Fabio Gergels or Marcelo Garcias. They're the common, everyday, recreational person that's doing jiu-jitsu. Just like if you went down to the Summer Rec League and you were playing softball or you were playing basketball or baseball. You know, same type of thing. Cooler gear. Yeah, I guess now that you put it that way, it makes me feel like every time I go to an open mat, it's like a pickup game. So I'm going to try and get that one out of my head for a little while. You know, Sean, I'm really interested (laughs) to hear that, you know, I mean, first of all, you have a wealth of experience and you were there for the infancy of MMA, just especially in this scene and in California. But I really am interested. What is it that made you start making more of a transition to doing jujitsu events? Because we haven't even scratched the surface on what you've done in jujitsu. Well, 2004, um, I started doing in-house tournaments, and um, I somewhere around 2008, 
I, I, okay, and at this point, please understand, I haven't even started training yet. <laughs> I was still, like, I was still playing fast-pitch baseball on the side, and um, I was playing some other things with some local teams. But there comes a point in your life where, you know, football, you know, ta- real tackle football is gone unless you're playing semi-pros or you're playing pros or you're in college playing or, um, you know, same with basketball, same with baseball. So there comes a point where all of it's kind of gone and you're kind of stuck there to do one of two things, play old man jujitsu or um, play, you know, co-ed softball. Co-ed softball wasn't for me. So I, I just one day in 2006, I jumped on the mat and I, after doing tournaments for about two years already at that point, in 2006, I said, you know what? My friends were dragging me. They're like, come on, man, just try it, just try it. And I did it, and I tried it a couple times, and I was like, you know, I don't think this is for me. You know, nah, this isn't it. But, I mean, I tried it a few more times and a few more times, and before I knew it, I was hooked. And, um, you know, it became more of an obsession than it was um, – it's something that you didn't want to do, you know? And mm-hmm. then around 2008, 2008, I became frustrated because now at this point, I'm two years into competing and I want to compete all the time. And at that point in time, now you're in the very infancy of jujitsu. People are only hosting one tournament a year. You got Claudio Franco way up there in, in Northern California hosting like the U.S. Open like once a year. And then you've got, you know, IBJJF hosting like once a year. And back then, you even had, like, the NABJJF was hosting, like, once a year. So I was frustrated. Hmm. And I was like, you know, annual tournaments just aren't the business. Like, we need more competition platforms. Hmm. And so 2008, um, I, I, co- I co-founded a company called Grappling X. And um, we launched Grappling X in May 17, 2008. was the very first tournament after we'd done some combatives work with, uh, with a... Um, the National Guard here in San Diego, and they offered us a venue, and we we said, why not? Why let's let's use it? Hmm. So we started a company. We cut a re- we we bought a cut up wrestling mat, and uh, we took that wrestling mat and uh, threw it down on the ground, and we we made a tournament. <laughs> Man, this is so cool to hear. This is exactly this is the Batman Begins of like jujitsu for for us, because I mean maybe people aren't. If, as they're listening to this, understanding, because we live in a world where there's a tournament almost weekly now. Yeah. Correct. So to understand that, to have that beginnings of, you know, this is what, seven years ago? To think that's how quickly things have changed. You know, you're mentioning that there is a boom. There is definitely a boom. It's only continuing to grow. So I am fascinated to hear that kind of stuff. As you were doing it, you know, what did you notice as you were kind of making that transition? Because like you said, Kudos to you for being able to do tournament directing for two years before you practiced because everybody who does it just has so much passion and infuses it. And so much of that comes from practicing the sport. But you coming Correct. through and just like doing it for two years, what was keeping you from doing it? Did you just go, nah, I don't you really know, think so or ah, I don't know. It didn't feel right or what was it? Look at these Neanderthals. Why would I do that? I, I think – you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because I think looking back on it, we all, for those guys that didn't wrestle growing up, we were always like, no, no, that, that wasn't for me. No, yeah. you know, now I, I look back and I'm like, damn, I should have wrestled, man. What was I thinking? You know, geez, what was I thinking? But I think uh, ultimately, you know, I, I've been promoting for an extremely long time. So promotions for me was not, was not really a, a twist in the game. It was just perfecting a, a, a moment. 
going from um, small venues like in-house tournaments was great. You know, we had we would we would bring in 250 competitors on a normal basis. Um, we were doing great with it. You know, crossing over from from the, um, the the in-house tournaments to a bigger venue was like, you know, it was just stepping up into the next level, you know. Um, having all the relationships with all the MMA coaches all the years and the friends that were mine, you know, Tracy Hess, a sub-fighter, and, um, you know, Russ Mira and, and Jeremy Williams and um, all these different names and people that you would know, um, it was it was just an interesting transition. It was great at the time, you know. We, we launched... From going from an in-house tournament, hey, this is going to be our very first tournament. Boom, and we had 250, 300 competitors. So it was like, you know, we transitioned automatically with the following. So it was great for us to make that transition. I had no idea where the road was going. I had no idea that it was going to go the direction it was going. And I had no idea that I would be sitting in front of you today still doing this, to be honest with you. Which is a great segue, because I kind of want to oh, hear... And it's it's a little difficult because there's about 15 different grappling organizations between the time period we're talking about and right now. Talk to us a little bit about how Subcon and starts, how you get involved with it, and why you, you've kind of gone that route because you're someone that obviously would only sort of follow what you like doing at this point. So we're just we're curious about that. Well, okay, Kicking Off Grappling X in 2008 was an excellent platform, you know, for everything to go the way it was. Um, I would say that I was on a position that I was competing constantly because I was trying to climb the ranks. Um, uh, by this time, I don't know, let's say 2010, 2011, I don't know, I was probably a, a purple belt maybe by then, not really sure, under Salo Hibero and Sanji Hibero. Never and, heard of um, I'm not familiar nope, with nope. them. Yeah, they're they're pretty quiet. They're pretty quiet. Are so, they like Sal but, um, and Sandy? Because <laughs> is that it's Sal and Sandy is what I thought I've heard. I didn't. Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, As we're all like, do not tell anyone. Do not tell them this happened. Yeah. No. no it, it, Sandy knows uh, is, uh, very well. So if he if, if Shanji heard me calling him Sandy right now, I'm pretty sure there would be the look of death. Uh, followed by the fact that he once grabbed my wrist during an interview just to, like, say, like, ah, it's a good question, ah, it's funny. And I was like, I'm going to lose this wrist. And then I'll choke you. I've seen that interview. There's pure fear on Ram's face. Absolutely. It's shit. That's a perfectly natural reaction. Sorry, go on. Go on. (laughs) Nah, no worries. So, um, yeah, it was just at a point. um, I, I hit a point, I guess I... I guess you could say uh, my partner and I pretty much outgrew each other in a lot of ways. There was a lot of negative things that were going on within the company, and um, it was time just two separate ways. You know, we weren't seeing things correctly anymore. Um, He had his vision. I had my vision. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, you know, it was just time to part ways. And so in 2015, I'm sorry, 2014, um, August, I believe the 24th, I walked away and I, I had a vision to start a new company. Um, there were a lot of things that I wanted to implement and, and take the company to another level. And he wasn't, he didn't have the same vision that I did. And so unfortunately, uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes that, that, that business partners can be together. They're the yin and the yang and they can be together for, for 30 years. And then there's, uh, other times that they just, that it's no longer in their best interest to be business partners. Yeah. Oh, tell and, and, me about that. Yeah, I know. I've worked with Kevin all the time. I can't get rid of him soon enough. Yeah, it happens. That happens. 
But um, before things got really ugly, and it was already at a pretty ugly point, um, you know, regardless of the fact, uh, you know, I wish him the best. But at the, at the same time, it was time for me to move on to a new platform and, and try uh, try something different and, and elevate the company to a different level. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I think originally my colors were, were black and gray for everything, kind of like the Raiders, and I felt like, we were the bad boys of the sport, you know, because we were Americans trying to cross over and do, and um, you know, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament, you know, and, and not only that, but here I was, I was, you know, I'm an American, and I'm over here trying to, uh, I'm calling in, you know, all my friends that are Brazilians to give me the best opinion and give me the best feedback and dialogue that they can so I can properly you know, run a tournament, you know, with all the right bells and whistles and I'm, and I have the right referees and I'm, I'm getting, you know, all the feedback that I need before I had launched my very first D tournament, like in 2000, let's say 2009, 2000, late 2008. So all of these dynamics coming together a few years later and having a plat, a platform to launch subcon on and knowing that you have an amazing following at this point. Let's just go ahead and let's kick it up to the next notch. Let's, let's change out the barriers. Let's come up with new colors. Let's come up with a new name that really, really exploit, not ex- I wouldn't say exploits jujitsu, but really brings everything together. And it's got to be something catchy that everybody loves and it makes sense. And so for months and months and months after racking my brains, um, I had started another company off of my gym called the Gi Exchange. And I, the Gi Exchange basically had kicked in. Um, it was basically uh, put into place for people who, let's say you buy a new Gi, and, and we all, if, if you've done Jiu-Jitsu long enough, we all know that you buy a Gi, some Gi's fit great, you find mm-hmm. some brands that are amazing and you love them. Some of them, they shrink too much. You bought an A2, but you're really an A1L, or it was an A3, and you, you've lost so much weight. It's still a brand new gi. They need to trade it in. Yep. So what we did was we created a platform called the Gi Exchange, which allowed you to trade a gi in and use it for credit, much like GameStop. Um, trade that gi in and use it credit for a new one. So that way you could at least rotate your gis out, and then it gives people the option to buy a used gi, and, and so it's not at full price. Yeah. So... I kicked off the beginning of this year um, with the very first tournament called the Gi Exchange, and then I said, you know what, this is this was great. It was a great launch platform, but I, I it took me it probably took me close to nine or ten months to come up with a legitimate name that I really felt super comfortable with. And uh, working in Department of Defense for as long as I have, I, I'm very um, used to tons of acronyms. And so playing with it for the longest time, I, I wanted something catchy that everybody would say and it rolls off your tongue. And, you know, whenever you're standing in the gym, you can say, hey, I'm getting ready for this. I'm getting ready for subcon. I'm getting, I'm training for subcon. People go, oh, man, that's catchy. So for months and months and months, it took me a long time to come up with the submission conference. And, um, you know, why did I do that? Well, because if you know anything about, like, SEO, there's the iPub conference. Um, there's different types of uh, conferences out there. And to me, a conference is, you know, by definition, it's the gathering of people Mm -hmm. to what? Watch submissions. So, you know, um, the submission conference came into play, and and that's basically how it kicked off. It was, um, 
you know, Subcon became an acronym of a submission conference, and we were off and running. I mean, I have to admit, the first time I heard Subcon, the thing that ran through my mind was it was like a conference that people go to. At, it's at like some hotel and everybody's just like, guys, let's just talk about how we choke each other. OK, uh, I'm going to present an outline. These are my nine points. Some of them are back takes. Then at 12 o'clock, we're going to go over. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you have a question? No, no, no. We'll get to triangle chokes a little bit later. We're not quite there. That's going to be after lunch as well. Like that was what I thought when I first heard Subcon uh, initially. Right. But uh, that uh, does make sense for SEO and and uh, getting that in there. So now. You put that together, you get a lot of really good response. Uh, I'm located out in SoCal, so I, I'm very connected to that community, and I, I hear good things about the tournament. Uh, you have one coming up at in a couple weeks, right? Right, yeah, November 1st. Okay, so tell us a little bit about that event and uh, yeah. what it is that you, know, that you guys specialize when you are doing those tournaments. Uh, maybe people who never heard of it or haven't seen it, what is it that makes you guys so unique and, and different than maybe a little bit of the other tournaments? Well, I think, uh, first off, we are, we're one of the very first Americans that have really, really cared about the sport. And I'm not saying that there's not other organizations out there that do, because they are gaining ground. There are new organizations out there that are coming up. Um, but, you know, we've been, we've been around since the infancy. We're one of the very first Americans that threw a gi tournament. You know, we, we look at it from, you know, I, ultimately, at the end of the day, giving back to that same community is more important to me than anything in the world because I came from absolutely nothing growing up in the east side of Five Points of Denver and Swampia. And I can tell you 100% whenever you come from nothing and you grow up on government cheese and, and um, food stamps, um, giving back or you know, being able to, to escalate yourself or put yourself in a position to give college scholarships, which we just gave our very first one to a kid named Jesus Gutierrez up in um, Visalia, California. I saw Visalia, that. I thought that was really uh, cool district. because you don't see that with all uh, a whole bunch of different organizations. I thought that was really unique that you right. guys were doing that. So, you know, being able to come to a point where you, you know, uh, you're taking what little bit of profits you are getting, and, and, and not a lot of people... You know, a lot of people see the numbers, they see people show up, they see a packed house, and they don't, you know, they think, oh, these guys are killing it. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in the reality, you know, they don't realize that, you know, my equipment alone cost me $60,000, not to mention my staff and my overhead is another fifteen dollars to $20,000 a show. So people don't realize, like, all these elements and all these aspects, they take away from their profit. You know, you, you have to pay those people out. And they don't realize that all these things come into play. But ultimately, at the end of the day, being able to give a $500 scholarship is really, really important. Being able to give a, um, uh, to be able to give a, a chair, do a charity event um, is really big. Uh, we have some things coming up with the food bank that we're going to be doing that we haven't even announced yet that's going to kick off for next year. And we have a few things that are going to be really big that is going to be huge for next year that we're getting ready to announce that we have plans for all of next year for not only kids tournaments and adult tournaments that we're going to be doing. And, yeah. and you know, we're going to give away some cash prizes and it's going to be some fun. That's awesome. One of the things I really admire is, like you said, uh, doing the scholarship really, really makes you guys unique. Uh, what is it that people can come to expect on November 1st? What are some of the things that, uh, you know, I mean, because here's the thing. A lot of people may not know this about you. You also are behind 
you know, ADCC, Five Grappling, you have so many ties into there. So I know that's such good expertise and, and help in order to put something like this together. So people should know that you have that credibility going into it, that they can expect a very smooth, good tournament. But what is it that, you know, sell us on it? If you were to tell us why we should do that tournament, what would it be? Um, I think the, the most unique thing is that this tournament's free for everybody. This is a, you know, this is a charity event, 100%. Um, you, you compete with a $50 donation of toys. Um, for those that know the San Diego community itself, um, AJ Machado is, is a figure here in San Diego. He's, um, he's been on mainstream radio for some time. He, uh, he hosts what's called, for a little over 10 years now, he's been doing what's called AJ's Kids. It's a uh, nonprofit organization that was put into place, and um, he works with directly with Children's Radio Hospital. And um, yearly, he goes up and he lives in a crane. He eats, sleeps, hosts the radio show, does everything up in this crane as he raises toys. He collects toys to give back to the sick kids that are in Children's Radio Hospital. So, long story short, it could be kids that are that are going to the hospital to Children's Radio. I mean, to you know, it could be a bee sting, a broken arm, all the way up to who knows, leukemia, cancer. Um, it could be a sick kid that's getting, you know, um, that has pneumonia, uh, you know, having, you know, anything, any any kind of sickness or illness, you know, or just maybe going to get shots, you know, and just isn't taking it so well. They turn around and they give them a toy and, and it makes the kid smile. You know what I mean? It gives them the, their attention span on something else so the doctors can do what they need to do and the kids leave happy. So this um, this theory that they came up with and, and started and it started, you know, uh, you know, small, you know, let's say two, three to 4,000 toys, you know, 5,000 toys, 10,000 toys. Well, as, as late as, as of last year, he's raising over a hundred thousand toys a year, every single year annually in this cause. And AJ has been a very long time friend of mine. AJ Machado has, he's commentated MMA for us for way back when he, he is a guy that has been around since the infancy of MMA. He's commentated. He loves MMA and jiu-jitsu just as much as us. He actually trains himself and um, it was something that I wanted to work with with AJ for years, but because of the situation with Grappling X, for whatever reasons, um, it just didn't come to fruition. And now we're at a point where, you know what, um, we're able to do this. We're giving back, you know, 100%. So, you know, we, we are out still doing the same thing that we always do. We're feet around the pavement. We're promoting. Um, you know, we're trying to spread our audience again because a lot of people still don't know that we've made this transition to subcon and we're no longer the old element or, you know, the elements, the old elements went on and done his thing and I went on and done my thing. But a lot of people don't know that we've made this transition just yet. You know, they're still, we're still in our infancy of growing and now we need to, we need to expand that as much as possible. But I think what you're going to find is you're going to find a professionally ran family atmospheric tournament that with all the bells and whistles, large medals, four-inch medals, like always, we've always given four-inch medals since we started. Um, you're going to see us, you know, raise, ultimately the goal this year was 5,000 toys and $5,000. And we're at about $1,000 right now. I'm on our GoFundMe account. And, you know, um, registration, I haven't really checked registration yet. It'll start, it, usually registration really starts getting crazy within the last two to three weeks of registration. So, you know, ultimately... Um, you know, I'm hoping to raise 5,000 toys. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that we'll make that. I don't think it's a huge number, but I don't think it's a little number either. And I think that the grappling community here can pull this off in SoCal. Um, you know, for those that don't want, or, you know, that can't donate, we can, they can just go ahead and donate $50 and we'll go buy toys at the end. 
Um, so you got the options of how you want to do it and what you want to do. Um, others asked if we set up the GoFundMe account because if they live like in Colorado or Florida, were they able going to be able to donate? You know, even if it's just fifty dollars, fifty dollars to the cost helps us buy more toys. So for us, it's a big deal, and um, this is our way of giving not only back to the jiu-jitsu community, but also giving back to these little sick kids that you know that detrimentally need these you know these these pickups, and it's an inspiration to them. To, to receive a toy and, and feel better about the situation that they may or may not be in. Absolutely. And the grappling community, known the world over for its generosity, too, um, just because it attracts a, a group that's that's been through some adversity normally, which is nice. And well, I think jiu-jitsu provides a platform that's different from anything else. And, and the reason I say that is MMA has its own unique platform. Jiu-Jitsu has a different type of platform. And then whenever we refer back to the fact that I said it's a recreational type of sport, at any given time, you can walk into somebody's gym and you can have a doctor and a lawyer. And, um, you know, you can have a doctor, a lawyer, a hell's angel. You can have, you know, anything else. You never know what's going to be on that mat whenever you walk in that door. So, and, and the thing is, is that there's a certain type of serene um, a serene calling, I guess you could say, or a serene known fact that the minute that you step on that mat, nobody cares who you are. You know, you have police, firefighters, you name it, nobody cares. The minute you step on that mat, you're training partners. You're brothers in arms. You're going to war 100%. And the relationships that you build on that mat will never, ever, ever be destroyed. Those are, you, you'll be closer to some of those people than people that you grew up with your entire life. It would be nice occasionally if the training partners would respect our integrity, though. You know what I mean? Just from a... Like, I spent four years at K-State. If people would just give me a little bit of an edge, because I didn't spend those years training athletically, I was drinking, that would be nice in the grappling world. I'm just saying. I would say this. Obviously. You know, uh, Sean, I think that's so great. Obviously, getting a toy, coming out November 1st, that's a great thing for Subcon. I know, you know, we're unfortunately running long to the point where we have to have you back to talk about a plethora of things, but I need you to answer I have a me. lot of tournament questions left, Raph. Never even, yeah. I need you to answer me this question, though, okay? Because you've been involved in ADCC, yes? Yes, I have. Okay. Now, I don't want to pull the veil out completely, uh, you know, reveal all the magic tricks, but absolute selection is that done by pulling straws or is it done by lottery? Because every time I see it, somebody asks me, they're like, Raph, how does ADCC work for absolute? And I go, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a question that I, I really don't even know the answer to, to be honest with what you. Um, I mean, before I know it, you know, you, you see somebody, um, you know, pumping somebody else online and they're saying, Hey, vote for Jared Goff. Let's get him on there. Let's get him on there. But I don't, you know, up to this point, it's not like it's been like the all-star break or, you know, for baseball or, or MMA or jiu-jitsu. I mean, I'm sorry. It's not like it's been like the all-star break for, you know, Major League Baseball or sure. even basketball or where, you know, the fans actually pick who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure what the dynamics are, you know, that they actually go about choosing this because more often than not, I've seen an extra new person pop up on the scene, you know what I mean, that I, I never knew before, you know? I'll be honest with you. 
You know, until I did ADCC, I didn't know who Jason Manley was. Nobody knew who Jason Manley was. And Jason Manley came up on the scene, and he exploded, and nobody knew who he was. And I was like, you know, I remember sitting there that day and watching him tear through some people in that tournament, and I went, whoa, who is this guy? <laughs> well, I'm a Cesar Gracie. I'm a Cesar Gracie brown belt at the time. And I was like, whoa, you know, where did you come? Like, whoa, you know, this guy <laughs> is amazing, and I had no idea, you know. But that's the dynamics that you get with jiu-jitsu. Like, you never know. Um, just how good some of these guys are, and all of a sudden they pop up on the scene. But as far as the lottery picks, man, I really, I wish I had that answer. Maybe we have something we should ask Ricardo. Ricardo may know that answer, you I know, mean, a little bit deeper than me. One day, as part of my, my contribution to the jiu-jitsu community, I'm going to get the best 60 Minutes-esque interview out of somebody to just explain what it is, because... Even on the selection process, we liken it uh, on the podcast here as something akin to uh, The Bachelor because all the uh, people who get selected basically get roses that let them know they're continuing on. So that's about as scientific as we've made it here on the show. Right. Now, I'll do some research. You know what? I'll actually ask that question. I'll pose the question to the guys because I enough. honestly don't have the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. And dare I say he might hold more clout? In this, but you never know. I mean, it's it's a close race, Kev. It's close. <laughs> it's us, close. Us and our our budding us, podcast versus uh, years and uh, worth of experience and being there on the ground floor. I don't know. It's a close race. Know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can come up with. That's that's what we'll do. I like that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I want to thank you for stopping by to, to talk with us about this because obviously we are connected to the jiu-jitsu community. Stuff like this really makes us happy. And part of the reason we wanted to have you on is to talk about this great event because I think it is something that deserves attention. It's happening out in uh, SoCal in San Diego, correct? Correct. Uh, it's going to happen out there November 1st. It's a great opportunity to give back to the community. I would highly, highly encourage it. If people do want to sign up, where can they go sign up? Um, they can go ahead and they can sign up at subcon.tv, so S-U-B-C-O-N.tv, or submissionconference.com. It'll take you to the same location, and uh, you can go ahead and hit up the events, you know, plan around there and, and sign up. And if you guys got questions, please feel free to email me at input submissionconference.com. Sean Fowler, ladies and gentlemen. Verbal Tap fans, we have a uh, a very dangerous jujitsu fighter. The quick ones and the muscular ones are the, the I I fear the most, Raf. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it just always feels like they're hanging around my neck for some reason. It just does. And we have perhaps one of the best at that on the line, fighting out of Atos. We have Mike Perez. Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. I was just talking to uh, you about watching you kick some ass at the ADCC 2015 trials. And, uh, of course, Raf brought up ADCC. Talk to us about what your year's been like, where jiu-jitsu has been taking you. Well, uh, this year hasn't been too shabby, you know. It's definitely, you know, one of the better years of my uh, green career so far. Hopefully the first of many, but... uh 
it man, it all started in 2014. I just started winning everything that I was competing in, especially in the nogi. Uh, I don't know if something clicked. I don't know. I was training off the nogi. I trained the Autos ADCC camp 2013, and so I kind of really I fell in love with the you know the most prestigious event in jiu-jitsu. And that's what I want to be. I want to be the best. I don't want to be just Joe Schmo. I want to be number one on earth. You know, I don't want to be, you know, so I got to shoot for the ADCC. You know, that's the number one tournament, even more than the black belt IBJJF, you know? I just got to wonder you know, why are you making such a lofty goal when the earth is fine, but why aren't you saying like the universe? I mean, you got to start small first, you know, you got to build your way up. First, you got to take over and one planet. How You got to take over one planet before you can take take over the rest, you know? Mike, but, if I know. may also help you here, you're young, so you have to think about a pro-Mars world, probably. So I think it's probably, yeah, definitely to start definitely. with the Earth. You know, because mm-hmm. we don't know what Mars has to offer from a grappling perspective, Raph. I think that's fair. I just want to make yeah, sure he's, I, uh, he's thinking about it. I want to represent yeah, I want to represent the uh, Earth in an intergalactic tournament in the future. You know, like when planets collide and everyone's calling their best man to grapple, I want Earth to, to have faith in me so I can represent and hold it down. By so the I'm way, you know, bank mankind. I'm you sorry. know Andre Galval is going to come up with something called the universe. It's <laughs> going to be a complicated beach exercise, but go on. I just wanted to say before we go any further, maybe you two didn't realize what we just did. But we just made the jiu-jitsu version of Space Jam. So to all of the people who are listening, you're welcome. And yeah, like I can't a Mortal Kombat twist. Yeah, oh, bring it! Earth goes hard, man. Earth goes hard. Instead of dunk it, he gets a really good collar grip. That's mm-hmm. nice. So you know, Mike. I, obviously, it's a great year. We want to expand upon that uh, a whole bunch. So tell us a little bit before we even get into all of that, because that is great. Uh, you know, how did you get started? How do you find yourself really, really falling in love with the sport of jiu-jitsu? Oh, well, I started training back when I was like uh, a weed lad at the uh, young age of 16 years old in Katy, Texas, where there's really not much to do except uh, go to school, football games, things like this. And I really didn't like football or anything like that. I didn't like, like any ball sports but there was an MMA gym that uh, had been open for a couple of years in my town, pretty close to where I went to school. So I checked it out. Um, I was given a choice. Like right when I answered the door, uh, the manager uh, came to me and he said, okay, well, uh, we have two programs. We have a kickboxing program and a jiu-jitsu program. And I didn't know anything about either of them, but he explained kickboxing, like kickboxing is more striking, stand-up kicks, punches, et cetera, whereas jiu-jitsu is more on the ground and chokes and joint locks and that just sounded way cooler. So I, I of course picked jujitsu and then I started training. I got my ass kicked a lot. And then, you know, uh, that's how it happened for everyone. I guess, you know, they just really start believing in it in the, in the sport and the usefulness of it. And, and then you just get hooked. And then from there you just start training a lot. And then just with the act of you training a lot, then things start to happen for you as far as like, you know, life changing goals, things like this, you know, one thing I always ask people, and I'm always curious about, is when was the moment that you knew you were hooked? Because I think it happens a little different for everybody. Obviously, there becomes an obsession of wanting to do better, get better, be better. But where does that moment where you know you're hooked, when do you know that happens? Well, at the time, I had like this personal vendetta against a lot of the kids in my school because we were doing like these little like 
backyard fights with uh, weightlifting gloves in the backyard, and I used to get beat up by everybody, and I would just get fucked up all the time. Excuse my language. No, but, uh, okay, cool. Um, and I remember, like, when I started training, I was like, dang, this is cool. Like, and I was very motivated to get good at this stuff so I can, you know, go back and beat those guys up that have been beating me up in the backyard. My parents would be watching. It was embarrassing. Hold like, on. It was, time, like time, be, time. Nope, nope. Nope. I yes. hear about these things. Yes. Listen, I hear about these things plenty. Uh, Mike Perez, yes. Perez being some kind of brown, yes? Yes. What Latino. kind of brown are you? You Latino? Okay, now, it, now it's, oh, oh, the fiery kind. Hey, the thing about yep. this is, now I'm starting to realize as you say these things, your parents are just watching and just totally just seeing you go, ah, ah. No, really, they're really like not. inside with faces of huge concern, <laughs> and I'm assuring them like the whole time, like it's okay, it's okay, and I'm like clutching my ribs, like walking and limping inside, like it was bad, it was super stupid of me back in the day, but you know, I never backed down and just came out, you know, watching that, I was very like I was just down. I was. I wanted to get down with that kind of stuff. I want to make sure that I heard that part right too. You said "Never Back Down" is in the movie. Yeah, it had just came out. Yeah, no, I know the and movie. I was like, I'm quite yeah. familiar with it. But you know what? I haven't done after watching that movie. Had a backyard fight. <laughs> yeah, no, man. That's that's just like that generation. I'm telling you, like kids my age, it was, it was like a, it, was, it went viral straight up. God, I'm so glad you guys yeah, watched in that. In the locker rooms of schools. Yeah, man, it was it was a big thing. A lot of <laughs> a lot of little fight clubs were sprouting all across America. So that happens and obviously, you know, that gives you the fire that you want to go and train harder and karate kid your way back to those guys. My question to you now is, did you end up going up and beating them again or did you like yes. talk them into it and did you go, "Hey guys, you know what you should do? You should come train with me at this gym now." That I happen to be a little bit, I don't know, I'm a little better, we'll see. You might still kick my ass, but really you won't. Is that what happens? Well, no, it was more, uh, I actually just uh, called a meeting. I was like, it's time, just do another one. And I had been training for a couple months, you know, I was ready. I had been training every single day after school. And uh, I just called them all up, and they came through. And I remember this one kid who had always beat me up. I like just like... I like pulled guard. I remember, like I scissors something in the mouth, just like held him there, and then like did like an Americana or something like that. And everyone was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because it, it went from me getting like completely pulverized to like me like being on top just in a matter of months. So it was, it was pretty cool, and I just really liked it. Uh, you know, Mike, I'm just gonna put this out there. Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually said this to a guest, but I will start with you. You are a crazy human being. <laughs> yes, this is true. I hear it all the time. I'm constantly reminded, but, you know, you got to be a little wacky. You got to be a little wacky, a little tacky to make things, you know, make things go your way. You know, that's how, that's how some things, sometimes you got to be like that. I was you know? really you hoping that last third one was going to rhyme, but I was like, wacky, tacky. Mm. Yeah, I, I rhyme. I'm working on my... Uh, I've been freestyling a lot lately with the homies, so. Yo, we're going to talk about a mixtape after this, but I think Kev's got a question All right, for you. let's do it. Uh, now I can just see them doing a little freestyling at the end of practice, and I'd really like to join in on that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, Mike, what are you fighting at next? You seem like one of those people that has turned the fight switch on and has really not a ton of interest in turning it off. Um, well, um, I'm most motivated for ADCC 2017. That's in my sights. But in the meantime, um, I want to hit up like, uh, you know, some no geek advanced divisions. I want to get, I really want to get promoted to brown belt so I can, can, so I can further my, uh, journey you know i want to get that black belt i want to win acc i'm not trying to i'm not trying to do jiu-jitsu forever so i'm just trying to go ahead and win my titles and then move on to the next stage you know so i really just want to get my brown belt win double gold brown belt no gi worlds double gold brown belt gi worlds get my black belt um win acc that year and then win black belt worlds and then move on to phase two hold on hold on we're gonna stop again and kind of Talk about yeah, because he hearing. stole my plan, Raph. Did you notice that? Well, I mean, I love the specificity. I said of that all, three weeks ago. I said I was going to do that. I mean, there was one. I was also going to try and take second at EBI just because mm-hmm. of a funny thing. But mm-hmm. otherwise, that was it. Yeah, no, that's that seems a, a little more far fetched, though, Kev. I would say this though, Mike. You have it all planned out. It sounds great. But the one part that you really seem to catch me and throw me off guard is you're going to leave the sport of jiu-jitsu? Yeah, man. There's no money in jiu-jitsu, bro. I'm trying to make big family money that my great-great-grandkids could be like, man, huh, I don't know where this, all this money came from, you know? Like, jiu-jitsu is cool. I love jiu-jitsu. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I feel like I can be really good at and be the best at, not just one thing, you know? Okay, so let's so, say this. You're going to leave jiu-jitsu. What's one of those uh-huh. things? What is, like, because here's the thing. I don't want to, you know, jump to the answer before I ask the question, but I'll give you my answer, which is you're not allowed to leave. When you have a good competitor, oh. you got people like me and Kevin who watch you and go, man, that's pretty sick. Yeah, I don't want him to leave. What's the point? I mean, I'm just I'm just moving on to bigger things, man. I'm, I plan on going to MMA after jiu-jitsu, and I want to win. I want to be... UFC 155 title belt holder and just hold it and defend it one time and then I want to retire from MMA oh and gosh. then I want to get into movies oh and then I'm going to get into movies Kev this is an astounding you heard it here first um, what are your thoughts on all this Kevin uh, well you know I kind of feel like I do anytime I'm kind of gambling because mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like hey we're in on the ground for floor early with the mike perez interviews absolutely so mm-hmm. if it went the first when he gets that first big ufc but i was like hey mike remember your old friend's verbal tap that you were doing all these predictions on mm-hmm. so i think i think it's in our best interest to just kind of double down and support it i mean kev that sounds yeah, great but i'm summing it into an existence just by like just by me talking about it and however views that this is going to get people will hear it and they're gonna and they're gonna subconsciously summon it themselves because they are gonna hear it. You know Plus, what I mean? So they're gonna think it. You know what I mean? And that's just all I need. Well, Kev, don't tell us. So it's selfish. I have a selfish angle of this What's too. That? I I think we also, if I can just you know borrow the Vinnie Magalhaes model, mm-hmm. doesn't feel like Mike would ever shy away from a little super fight action. So I think this. I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I always. I'm always down. It's just jujitsu. This is not. It's not like. Nothing crazy. I'm not climbing mountains. I'm just doing jiu-jitsu. It's not, it's not that big of a deal, you know? I'm always going to be down to do that. But I, as far as, like, like solely, like, training and focusing on one goal, no, I'm going to – I plan on moving on to other things. But, you know, like, 
I plan on I plan on mastering jujitsu. I plan on mastering. Uh, I want to get into fencing. I want to get into a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? I, I believe I can get good at a lot of cool stuff. Where are you going to have all so, this time? That's um, that's my biggest I mean, question because like. I figure, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with enough of the guys over at Atos. A lot of them are good friends with us. And we know your guys' schedule of how mm-hmm. much you guys are training in a given day. So does that explain part of the nonsensical videos we see of, say, Keenan uh, using a hoverboard and, uh, you know, doing that? Is that where you fit in the fencing time? Or do you do it in between? Uh, you know, making funny videos at Atos. Where where does that come in? Because you guys are always busy. Is the thing. Well, my thing is, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I, I. I mean, I don't really know. I'm a, I, I'm not like the best. You know, I'm not like Alvaro. Not yet, anyway. So um, it, it sounds kind of like cocky for me to say I kind of do my own thing and do my own schedule. But that's just how it is. I train in the morning every single morning at the competition class, and that night. I either go wrestle with my coach, uh, Daryl Christian, or I lift weights. So I, I try not to, I don't really do two jujitsu sessions a day. Like most of the Oxus guys, I, I don't really like to. I just like to train once in the morning really hard. I like to drill. I like to walk. I like to wrestle as well. I like to, I like to supplement my training and, and make it fun, make it, uh, diverse so I don't get bored. And so I, I the interest keeps going and I keep progressing at, at alarming rates. That's how I feel. With it, so I feel like with the time where I'm going to find the time is uh, when I'm done uh, competing jujitsu and done like uh, pursuing this career uh, obsessively. Then I will have time in the evenings. I'm always going to be training, but as far as like you know, wrestling to make sure my wrestling's on point, uh, conditioning, going to the chiropractor, going to cryo spa, etc. You know, I'm not going to be doing all that. So my odd open schedule. All right. So you also <laughs> mentioned wanting to do movies because that was a part yeah. that. I guess you you figured out your Ronda Rousey path to movies. Yes. Now, uh-huh. as a person who writes often with characters and you know does my fair share of writing scripts and whatnot, mm-hmm. what kind of movie are you looking for? If you could pick one movie that would be the definitive type of movie you would want to make, what would it be? Well, realistically, uh, I am a fighter. So I would have to, of course, something with uh, action. Maybe it could be a drama thriller, action type. You know, I want to be. I want. I want to. I want to be in a movie that is going to change your life. That is just going to be like, wow, that movie was crazy. I'm going to recommend it to everyone. Yeah. So thr- to me, like magic thrillers. Thrillers always yeah. do that to me. A little bit of action, a little bit of you know, a little bit of subtle comedy like and Disturbia. You've seen, seen Disturbia? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great movie. Mike, do you want to be the action star, or do you want to be like his number one henchman? Um, I mean, I got to start small, you know. So I got to work. Maybe in the beginning, I'll be the guy behind the scenes, uh, choreographing all like the moves, the crucifix, arm bars, the you know, the X guard to yeah. single leg coming up for a body lock, slamming him on the head. That that's gonna Rap. be me. <laughs> In the beginning, and then they're going to be like, wow, this is really sick. And then they're going to see me actually doing it, and they're like, wow. And then they're going to notice how I have uh, a very charismatic, I got good acting skills. You know, I can imp- I can do some impersonation, but I will not do any on this podcast because 
I, I gotta leave you guys one more. So don't, so don't try to trick me and ask and get me to do that. Oh no, he's, he's on to us, Kev. He knows that we would ask him to follow up and say that he can actually do the things he says he can do. Not gonna do it. That's fine. I just want to make sure that, as a resident impressionist, you leave us with zero impressions mm-hmm. because you let us know that you can do them, but you can't do them with us. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like it's like I got a secret. But I'm not going to tell you. Here's the funny part, Mike. I don't know if you know this. I don't know how often you listen or are familiar with us. I do impressions. Now, the one thing I don't Uh, like is I don't like being told to be like a a performance monkey. So I understand that part. However, when you don't do it, you also have zero credibility. Yep. Well, I guess I see this is you trying to do. I can see it. I can see what you're trying to do here. And it's not going to work. Here's the thing, Mike. It doesn't have to work. I mean, here's the burden of proof is on you, my friend. I would say this. I guess it. I guess it is. I would say this. We're going to leave it for another day. As an impressionist and as a person who does noted uh, different impressions of people, I just feel when you say you have a skill, you got to back it up a little bit. Now, granted, you don't have to do one here. I I just think you have to concede that you know. On this podcast, you don't do impressions, and you can't prove it. Okay, yeah, I can't prove it. You're right. I guess. So I guess if we'll I were know. giving out a bell, I guess we'll never know that we're impartial. I mean, we can't sever ties this quickly, Mike. No, no. Because <laughs> if I go ahead and, and put out all my cards on the table, I, I, I it's going to be it's not going to be a surprise when I make my transition into Hollywood. Okay, that's fine. You know and I mean? Can I ask this though? If you're not going to do the yes. impression, can you tell us one person that you do an impression of? Um, I do impressions really. See, like I can't. Uh, no one really famous, but a lot of people that I know that I'm around all day. Like I have a French judo coach who's like always speaking French, and I'm I'm pretty good at you know uh, impersonating him a little bit, a little ha ha ha, little French laugh, things like this, you know. But uh, it's more people that I'm around every day because then I can hear them talk. So. And I'm working on my Mike Tyson a little bit, so. Okay, that's good. That's an important one to have, yeah. especially for a fight career, especially if you got to cut promos as you start escalating as mm-hmm. you go. If I could give one thing, and I know we were talking about movies, and let's get back to that. If you're really looking at stuff, and I know you're thinking, like, Disturbia is a good psychological kind of thriller kind of uh, aspect to be going down. May I make a suggestion? Yes. Because you were mentioning that you want to have that, that movie that really inspires people, I would say almost like a Rocky kind of a feel, almost, right? Nah, that's not me. That's not my, that's not my style. Really? It's not your style? Nah, uh, it's not my style, no. Because... I'm not trying to, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to try to be something, portray something that I'm not the whole, like, you know, I mean, I am, but I'm not, I just don't like being the uh, guy that's just like, I like just like letting my moves do the talking, you know what I mean? I don't really like to, I don't really like to show all the work that I'm putting in, you know what I mean? I don't like people seeing how I'm training people, seeing how I'm, you know, how I'm studying. I don't like people to know that. I want people to think I'm really lazy. So on the contrary, I would ask rather have a movie about how lazy and, uh, how lazy and untalented I am, so people can you know. That's fine. To really so have an idea about me, we'll we'll put you in you touch with a, with a good Seth Rogen vehicle then. But uh, yeah, I think the thing I was going to suggest before you you mentioned all of that was putting you in the direction of inspiring the next generation of you by creating Never Back Down Nine. 
because oh, you yeah. could reach out to that person who's you, who wants to make those mm-hmm. decisions in backyard fight, and maybe give them mm-hmm. the insight that you would have liked at that time in your life. I'll be lead role. That's what I'm saying. Lead I, role. I was already thinking a lead role. So I mean, mm-hmm. see, I'm just looking out for your best interest. Maybe sidestep a couple things. I just got to get like a. I got to get like a coach like an og coach like they had in those they had always had an og guy like that one guy uh he's like that french black guy um about the first one. Oh yeah that guy's a g he's an og i need an og maybe like uh who would be a good one i'm thinking uh donald trump donald trump would be good okay all he's right right now he'll probably be free at that time if i'm yeah making any bold declarations i dare you Oh no, he's gonna be next president. <laughs> yeah, he definitely will. Unfortunately. Be. Well, uh, you know, I think that's that's a great place, Kev. Uh, I do know that you wanted to ask a quick question about ADCC before we wrapped up, though. Please, ask. I, I love ADCC. Oh wait, let me just make one thing clear. Uh, I'm saying, like, uh, yeah, like jujitsu isn't like my uh, only goal. Do not uh, be con- uh, confused. And think that is not my love because I love jujitsu so much, but I am using my brain and I am using jujitsu, my one true love, to take me to the highest peak of my craziest, most wildest dreams. You understand? Like I'm using jujitsu to get good in, to get good at uh, fighting mixed martial arts, so I can be UFC champion. So then I can make network a lot of networking with a lot of celebrities and actors, etc. So then I can just keep going on and on. You know what I mean? So carry on. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> and did I have something specific? I had already said Raph and my stonerisms have just gotten the best of me. <laughs> uh, I know that Kevin off air was kind of intrigued. We had talked a little bit between the two of us a couple of days ago about what it's like to actually be in the ADCC process. So once you actually get, you know, through the trials and selected and all that good stuff. What is the actual process like, like going over to travel and compete? Oh, it's exhilarating, man. Getting on that, uh, like right getting into the airport, you know, you're, you're walking around. I see Keenan there. I see Galvao there. I see my boy Jimmy there. And I'm just like, man, this is like all, it's like elite. And then I get to the tournament and then it's just all the elite. I see all guys and girls that are, are handling the jujitsu scene you know and i'm like okay this is the best of the best this is what it should be this is what i've been uh, wanting to do this is what i've been working for and it just made sense that's all it was i was very calm right when i got there it just felt like it just felt super normal for me it was weird i'm, I'm usually the type to get very nervous and anxious before a tournament but i was like strangely calm and it just made sense for me to be there and i and i felt very comfortable and you know, like I, I love that tournament. I like I really do love that tournament. I love what it represents. I love I love the fact that you have to earn your way to get there, no matter what. Like even even if you get invited, you still had to do something to earn the invitation. You know, you had to do something you know spectacular. So I really well, love that man. And we'll say it. I keep going. No, I was just gonna say, Mike, you're a blast, and if we can just get some personality out of you next time, we'll definitely have you back on the podcast. Great. You uh no, you're a blast and you're fun to watch fight. You brought some great energy to ADCC. Which is... Appreciate it. Next time I'm gonna win. All submissions. Double gold. Double you gold. Know. I'll end up probably having to fight my coach in the super fight. Are you gonna stay one are you gonna stay at your current weight or are you 
gonna try uh, and do like, what uh, some of them do. I'm like 195 right now. I'm, I'm probably gonna just stay here. I plan on fighting uh, heavyweight, and as far as IBJJF, and for ADCC, I'll stay at 88 kilogram. There you go. Hopefully, my teammate Keenan will go up though. I keep telling him to go up away. Like we could just both get gold medals. Just <laughs> keep hiding like bacon fat in his shakes or whatever. Yeah. It's like uh, no, he eats smoothies. a lot. He eats so much. He eats all day. That's all he was doing in Brazil. Just eating room service. <laughs> <laughs> well, Verbal Tap fans from Atos Jiu Jitsu, Mike Perez. Rafa Sparza got to talk to Sean Fowler, who might know more about. MMA organizations. Is it me or do they sound like the box set for Mad Max? Like with like the Grapple X and the Thunder Fight Quest. I'm like I'm not I mean? sure. You know, you said that joke offline. <laughs> hey, don't reveal the magic. The sausage <laughs> is being made here, Rap. And he was really proud of that one. And I didn't really give it a response, so I thought that was good enough. I just felt like it should come on live. That's fair. You weren't listening. Anyway. Sure. Uh, then we got to talk to Mike Perez, mm-hmm. who crazy focused. I like his training regiment. We're going to need to that impression business. A question has been raised. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the hardest part is I just wish he was more organized about what he wants to do. Yeah. Like if he would just sit down and jot it, maybe writing like, it down. Got a help. plan. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good idea. And that's, you know, to any young fighter, um, mm. he just, he seems like he's just aimlessly wandering. Mm-hmm. It's good to, just it's has good no to direction, no, no main goals or anything. It's just, it's like the biggest tragedy case that you hear in jiu-jitsu. They just, they're not thinking about the future. And we are thinking about the future, which is why we're going to do some shout outs mm. because nothing helps make the future go by like a nice thank you. That's true. I'm just practicing for if we do go live, ref. I want like a good radio call <laughs> sign. Like, Kevin is alluding to the idea of going live. Uh, it's a possibility. We've talked about it. You'll find out if we ever decide to do it. Here's the thing, guys. We always come up with fun and different things to do for you guys, but you know what the biggest killer of coming up with new and fun things is? Work. Mostly having to put in the work is just like, nah. You know, Kevin and I could run a tournament one day, but eh, nah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's That's time cool. for shoutouts. I have a nice one mm-hmm. I'll start with here. This shout-out goes to Marcus White. Uh, training partner sent a nice message about um, you know just really enjoying the training philosophy I used to embark on when I would go visit you guys and all your crazy jujitsu stuff out in LA or make the Hawaii round so he's you know he just kind of did that a little bit and I needed to hear it I go under the knife in less than six days Raph which is on my mind 
Yes, a little bit. It is. Just a little bit. Um, so this week is going to go by nice and quickly. And that's going to do it for me, Rafa Sparza. I, I would love to go ahead and start shout-outs by shouting out Breakdown Academy. Breakdown. Wow. It's about as good as John gives previews <laughs> for his own gym, I think. Uh, good stuff always uh, training there. I mean, fun, fun, ridiculous uh, nonsense. So um, my thanks to everybody there. You know, guys, it's looking really nice. John and I will be doing commentary uh, in about a week's time at the uh, L.A. Grand Slam for the Abu Dhabi. And uh, we are excited about it, Kev. I'm excited for that. I'm going to be on painkillers watching the free stream. That's probably the preferred way to listen to both John and I as we do commentary. <laughs> Maybe John will finally be funny. Ew. Here's the problem, Kev. There are definite moments when I whisper off air, you're funnier than Kevin. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Shh. Because I'll tell him during a random shout out and section I on the podcast. The drama. <laughs> <laughs> and I pulled it off wonderfully, uh, I must say. No, uh, I don't know. I mean, working with John is always a blast. So I, I, I look forward to talking some good jiu-jitsu. Hopefully you guys will watch. It will be on Budo Videos. It's going to be on their YouTube channel. And guess what, guys? It's for free 99. So I, I pay free plus 99 and I, I get it? Well, it's free, but then you send the 99 to us. Okay. Not John, though. Just to me yeah. and Kevin. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So we're excited about that. Please be sure to watch that. We're going to try and make it as fun as as exciting as we possibly can. Uh, we want to send nice shout outs to our friends over at uh, TP Grant. TP Grant put out a really, really cool article this week talking about the need for aggression in jiu-jitsu, which is in some way, you know, a lot of uh, jiu-jitsu guys kind of always say it's the gentle art, and it is. But let's be real. There are some people who train ridiculously tough, and it is important. There is a need for aggression, a uh, well-placed one, not just like you go over and just like, you know, kill people aggression. We're talking like the stand-up wars, getting used to being put into high-pressure situations and trying to elevate your, uh, your own growth in the sport. So I think he makes a really nice case. And if you guys want to read that, I believe you can go over to bloodyelbow.com and uh, read it. It's, it's very good. He's a decent writer. Not the best writer, but, you know. And uh, I beat the shit out of him and over under Kevin. So. Did you see the video that he cut for you? Did you ever see that? No. No. Oh, oh it's glorious. He did it at the last uh, UFC pay-per-view. What? Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Okay, uh, well, I'm going to go watch that now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, do. we need to finish this. Then, then I'll go do that. We'll do this, then... Yeah. Take a moment Settled. for yourself. Use all of the marijuana in your house, then watch it. Because that's what you do in Denver now. I don't want to tranquilize an elephant rap. <laughs> <So get> all. <laughs> all, all of the painkillers you will be on next week will make every comment you tell me all the more worth it. Yep. So I'm just intrigued to see what you're going to be sending me as I'm doing Raph, it. Raph, talk more about the plot of Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah that's great stuff i want to also shout out valley martial arts center 
was that CNC Music Factories? Everybody yeah, dance now, but for oh, BMAC? Wow. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to see if I was getting that down right. Um, I want to say thanks to everybody. It was a cool open mat I got to go train at today. And, you know, I love seeing uh, new people come in. And uh, there was a guy, he brought his kid to come watch. I just got a haircut. The kid looks over at me, and his father has an awesome beard. Like, we're talking Civil War reenactor kind of beard, right? Yeah. And he points at me, and he goes, hey, this guy's got a pretty good beard, doesn't he? And he points, and, you know, he looks at me, and I'm like, oh, thanks, dude. That means a lot coming from, you know, you've got a great beard. And uh, the kid, like, just walks over to me. He looks over at my face, and he points to my beard. And he points to, like, my head where I've recently got my hair cut. And he goes, it looks like you took all the hair that's on your head and you put it on your chin. And I was like, well, thank you. That sounds great. Good job, kid. All right, You bye. can audibly understand that objects replace each other and go with a loose <laughs> affiliation way to explain it. <laughs> So I was, uh, I don't know what it was, but that made me laugh profusely. So we want to thank them. We want to thank Anthony for coming on out. Uh, awesome training. I had a really, really uh, fun day of doing that. I also want to say thank you to 10th Planet Buena Park. Um, they were so, so nice. And I have a really nice uh, set of stories to tell you from there. But I'll start by saying this. One of my lifelong uh, buddies, his name is Brian Bond. He came out to train with me. Brian Bond is one of the best athletes I've ever known. And, uh, I mean, I would probably have to say this, Kev. He's probably the person that taught me the most about grappling when we didn't know what the hell we were doing because uh, he's always been bigger than me to always beat the shit out of me. Uh, but I'll be damned. His beating the shit out of me a long time ago made it so that I'm actually kind of comfortable when people are kicking the crap out of me now. So I'm like, oh, this, all right, this isn't too bad. It's not Bond. But uh, Bond never really did grappling, but always been a really cool athlete. And he came out to train with us. And I thought that was exceptionally cool. So it was his first time doing this kind of activity. He was super game. And I liked that, you know, he's a smart guy. So he, even though he was still trying to figure out how to make his his body work in the sport, because we do all those weird fucking jujitsu things. He was like, dude, I, I get this move works like this. If you use this leverage and you do this. And I'm like, how are you talking about single leg X on your first day of jiu-jitsu? Like, it's blowing my mind. But he had the technique down to a science. So I want to say thank you to him and thank you to the good people over there. This is what I'm going to tell you. Kev, when you visit other gyms, are you ever nervous? All the time. What makes you the most nervous about it? Um specifically just the unknown i think nothing really. sure there's a lot that you don't know what's going to happen the training uh, partners you don't know if they're going to be amazing in great shape athletic absolutely. if they're going to be like more your speed or you know <laughs> yes definitely way less on the athletic side for me or are they going to be like a casual observer that's more like you know just drinking <laughs> a little bit so uh you know we show up there and everybody comes up to greet us and I thought that was a super cool. It's always indicative of something that's really amazing and the types of training partners you get. But there's one guy in particular. He actually works for Nawaza Apparel. So I immediately apologized to him for having to put up with Travis Nawaza. But he was really nice. And he's over on the side. And he does that thing where he's drinking some water. And he makes a head nod to me like just like up in the air. You know, you know the head nod, right? I do. Okay. What does that mean? 
it's time you want to roll. Let's roll. Absolutely. Let's go. So I look at him and I was like, yeah, I don't have a training partner. Let's go. And so next thing you know, he calls another training partner from where he is to act as an intermediary who brings over the water he was drinking over to me because he wasn't asking if I wanted to roll. He wanted to know if I needed water. And I just thought that's really, really nice. Like nobody has ever in all of my experiences at a jujitsu gym just been like, dude, you good? You need some water? Like normally they give you the head nod. You're like, oh shit, we got to go and start rolling. Let's get that intermediary here. But I did love the fact that he was like, Almost like a Godfather kind of moment where he's like, my son, come over here. Take this to him. He needs this water. So afterwards, I was like, well, uh, thanks, dude. That was really nice of you. Do you want to roll now? He's like, absolutely. Very, very good stuff. So uh, my thanks to him. The instructor was uh, Andy. He was so nice. He was helping out my buddy Bond with a bunch of advanced techniques and, and really cool stuff for his first day. And was able to give him some really great insight. And, you know, Kev, it's one of those things where when he shows the technique of the day, and I'm sure you have this, when you visit a different gym, you go, thank you. Yep. That will fit very nicely into my repertoire. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will be using this shortly. And I was able to use it today at the open mat. So I just want to say thank you to him. Everybody who make it possible for us to go in and, uh, you know, have a good time over in Buena Park. So it's 10th Planet Buena Park. We want to thank Casey. We want to thank Adam. We want to thank Andy, uh, Jose, uh, Frankie, uh, Jacob, everybody who was there uh, for just being so wonderfully nice to us. And uh, I always know when you bring a new guy into the fold, it's difficult to always do that sort of stuff, but we appreciate it. And uh, I also want to give a couple of quick shout outs to the people who shared our fucking memes this week, Kev. We had two really fun memes, obviously the Joe Schilling with the glory and uh, Joe putting that out as well. But we also had a John Jones thing we were talking about on the last podcast. And this thing really had a life of its own. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 I, it wasn't a test, Kevin. It was more of a, isn't that kind of cool? Like that's, that's great. It's okay. so cool. It just threw me off where, you know, I see my mug on other people's uh, Facebook walls and stuff. And I go, oh, that's really funny. And I heard one person put it up and they just go, LOL, you a fool, Raph, LOL. And I go, I think that's good. That's definitely good. Yeah, I think that one's good. So uh, my thanks to everybody. Very, very fun times. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Guys, remember, Abu Dhabi, Grand Slam. Next Sunday. Check us out. It's going to be a good time. Will be a good time. That's going to do it for us tonight here at Verbal Tap. I'm Kevin. Thanks for good listening. Good night. And good fight.